0: Hi, and welcome to Eaton House Conversations. In earlier episodes, we spoke about mindfulness and well-being in our schools and the collaboration with the Contentment Foundation in the US. Middleton International School by Eaton House is the first school in Singapore to have partnered with the Contendment Foundation to bring about a culture of mindfulness and well-being within its community. In our chat today, we have a very special guest all the way from New York. Ashina Baez is a principal, and an internationally renowned mindfulness leadership coach, curriculum developer, and educational consultant. Ashina is one of the two contentment foundation emissaries to the United States, where she's committed to scaling the four pillars of well-being across the country. After graduating from the Summer Principal Academy Administrative Graduate Program at Columbia University, she served the program as a leadership coach and summer instructor. Speaking to Ashina is ECNN, the executive director of Eaton House, who is a strong advocate of the mindfulness practice and has led the way in building this practice within the organization. Over to you, ECNN Ashina.
1: Hi, Ashina. How are you doing?
0: Hi,
2: I'm doing well. Thank you.
1: Yeah. um, So, uh, yeah, we're talking to each other on a Saturday night, my, my time and a Saturday morning, your time. And uh, a good friend of ours put us together because uh, of the Contentment Foundation. And uh, they told me that if there's one educator in the world I'm supposed to speak to who's an expert in mindfulness, it's you.
2: <laughs> Wonderful. No pressure, right?
1: <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess uh, to start it off, could you kind of tell us uh, your story? I mean, how did you come into teaching and how did you come into uh, where you are today?
2: Well, absolutely. Um, My story began uh, some years ago. Um, I became part of the cohort of the New York City Teaching Fellows, um, which really was a trial by fire experiment to see if you threw uh, folks from different uh, uh, secular uh, professions into the teaching profession and put them in the classroom before they had actual teaching training to see what would happen. And, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the New York City, yeah. So, what, what was ironic and, and, and exciting about the program is um, my first assignment uh, happened to be the elementary school that I attended as a child. Um, wow. And I began to quickly see the synergy and what really was the underworkings of what was happening. Um, I was able to, uh, at that point, uh, secure a position uh, teaching uh, fourth grade. Um, And it was probably one of the most amazing and challenging uh, years of my life. Anyone who's a first year teacher, they know the highs and lows uh, and in-betweens of teaching. Um, But I want to spend a little bit of time speaking about that particular class, because every teacher knows that you remember the names of every student in your first class, because that's how (laughs) profound that experience is. When I was hired, I was told that I would teach a gifted and talented second grade class. This was the best, most premier class in the building. When I got there on day one, they said that I would teach uh, students who were emotionally disturbed in fourth grade, who had severe emotional traumas. So here I am um, ready to be what I thought that a teacher was from everything I've seen on TV um, and every movie. (laughs) I would be this savior. Um, And little did I know. Um, these students had another plan for me. So I walk mm-hmm. into the classroom and um, there's uh, seven boys and one girl. And I thought that was odd. I'm like, why is yeah. the numbers um, bigger? And why are, are there so many male students? What I began to realize really quickly is that our classroom was located in um, what used to be a closet, um, a supply closet. It was very small, um, oh and this was a special education classroom and what I began to, to really center my work that I'll speak about, uh, in a little bit around uh, special education reform and how we actually are creating the conditions by which students with disabilities, um, and students with past traumas are able to develop sustainability and practices to help them through that trauma. So that first day of teaching, um, I remember, uh, a student by the name of Kevin, who um, was just, he sat with his hands folded the whole time. I wrote on the board. I'm thinking to myself by lunchtime, this child just does not belong in this class because the behaviors were very evident of all the other students until Kevin asked me to sharpen his pencil. And I said, by all means, Kevin, we'll sharpen your pencil. Kevin sharpened his pencil um to the point where it was just comp- it was so sharp and I couldn't understand why he spent so much time. Kevin proceeded to go back to his seat and stab attempt to stab another student with that pencil and I be- I quickly jumped and grabbed Kevin's arm and realized in that moment I looked at Kevin and Kevin is looking at me I'm like what I do it from this point on is going to dictate how the rest of this <laughs> day is going to go. The bell rings and it's time for them to go to lunch. So I'm sitting at this desk thinking, what am I going to do when, with these children when they come up from lunch in, in 45 minutes? I begin to walk out of the building, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, I walk toward the train because I thought maybe she could just be-
0: <laughs> <laughs> And
2: right by the two train in the Bronx, there is a PetSmart, which is a pet shop. And something was just, I, I love animals. So I just walked into the pet shop. I said, I just need to see something living, breathing, and, and, and a nice eco balance. So I go in <laughs> um, and the store manager is saying, you know, are you okay? I said, I'm okay. I'm just breathing. Um, he said, so you work at that school right there, right? Says, <laughs> <laughs> As if <in> this
1: <laughs> never everyday occurrence.
2: <laughs> right. It must be an everyday occurrence. So I tell the story because there was something in my spirit. So whether it's um, this idea of self-awareness and and self-actualization where I asked him a question, I said, is there a, a pet in this store that is probably maybe the least liked pet, the least desired pet? And he looked at me very strange and he said, well, we have guinea pigs. They're you know, they not typically um, you know, sold as much. So I went to go look at the guinea pigs. I go to the cage and I said, what about that one back there? He said, well, that's an albino guinea pig. So it kind of looks like a rat. So nobody would take it. I said, that's the one that I want. I want that one. And he says, are you sure? I said, yes. I said, so give me everything that I need to take care of it. I need a carrying in case I need everything. Long story short, I take the guinea pig back into the class. I have 10 minutes before the bell is going to ring when I have to pick up the children from lunch. The children, um, I set up the guinea pig. I go pick them up. I bring them in the room and I tell them I need to redo everything that we did this morning because something has just happened in our family. We need to sit down and talk. And at this point, they don't know me. So they don't know that um, I am willing to do just about anything to make sure that, you know, they feel safe and they feel secured. So I told them, I said, you know. This morning when Kevin um, had that moment with Malik, my heart stopped because there's something um, called empathy family. And I'm going to tell you what empathy is. Empathy is someone else's pain in your heart. So it's the ability for me to feel whatever's happening to you in my heart. And when I was walking during lunch, I walked into PetSmart and, and it's almost as if I was called because... I walked in and I asked the store manager, I need to know of an animal that really needs some love. And he gave me our newest member of our family. And they were just like, who, you know, what was happening? I said, I want to introduce you to Casper. (laughs) And I, and his name is Casper because he was put in the smallest cage, just like we're in the smallest classroom. He was told I'm sure by many that he wasn't the most desirable pet, just like we as special education students have been told that we're not going to be the most successful students. Well, I'm here to tell you today that as we nurture and love Casper, we're going to nurture and love ourselves as a family. We're going to nurture and love ourselves as individuals. And I am going to allow each one of you every weekend to take Casper home because we're going to learn how to take care of this, uh, and of, of this new member of our family together. And What came of that was probably the most magnificent year of my life. Uh, Francisco was another student who was known for being very destructive, ripping up classrooms. Francisco, I made him uh, the leader, the team leader. So it was his responsibility to select which student got to take it home. He sat with the guinea pig in the class. He would go on the carpet and, and rub it so softly. It was just the most beautiful thing to watch. So I'm telling you this story to really just tell you what Teaching has been for me; it has been the most amazing sandbox that you could ever create. I've been able to play and build, and and have the joy because I think that first day allowed me to to really embody that that spirit of empathy. And and every classroom that I go into, I would excel to go to go beyond being a teacher to an assistant principal, to a principal, to a district office um, employee. I treat it the same exact way and that is to have this profound level of empathy where I can see someone else's pain in my heart and navigate from the space of just authentic love and that's that's my journey.
1: Wow, that's beautiful. I I think you mentioned that you did a mid-career switch oh, into yes. teaching. Yes, so- I you got to tell us about that part of the story.
2: Absolutely. So in undergrad, um, I was convinced that I would be a a broadcast journalist. Um, So I spent a lot of my time um, in in that field, um, just really getting my feet wet uh, through even fashion and television production um, on and off camera. I did a lot of writing, um, scripts, and different things like that. But I think that if I'm being authentic... I knew that my journey would always lead me to education. As a child, my mother spoke um, to my professors um, and said as a child, uh, Sheena used to uh, joke uh, a lot with her siblings because she would not play school with them unless she was the principal and I was the youngest. So I'm I'm at Columbia University giving this speech um, at graduation and my mother says this to my professors. She says, I knew she would always be a principal because she was born to lead um this this has been an intrinsic journey and education to me is the foundation for all things um so i think there's no greater profession on earth quite honestly than to be an educator
1: yeah it's you know when you were telling me about your story and about kevin i, I thought about how i ended up um doing what i do so uh, my family owns uh, and operates uh, a school group and um after i did my uh two years of military service uh, I, I was a teaching assistant and I wasn't a very good teaching assistant because I went from being an army sergeant to b- being like, uh, yeah, the second like, uh, adult in the room. And I wasn't very much of an adult either. There was one student um, in one of my classes, he was on a mountain of, of autism. And uh, the amount of patience it took uh, to work with him, I think it really, really um, made me question uh, and respect um, the profession. As well as all special education teachers, and I think now as I'm a school administrator, I'm so thankful uh, for that student because had I not had that experience, I wouldn't understand what it's like and I remember um another administrator told me that um how we treat people who are the most different in our society really say really uh, defines who we are, and I think about that a lot. I was just kind of wondering how how did you kind of could you talk about I guess your personal practice of mindfulness? And how that kind of shapes what you do every day.
2: Absolutely, so um, it was a very interesting um, journey. I attended uh, Columbia University um, getting my administrative degree um, through a program called the uh, Summer Principals Academy, so the program was geared for aspiring principals. um, But again, following the the suit of my initial journey into um, education, this program centered on a spin of administrators becoming self aware. So, we had a mandatory mindfulness course. We had mandatory psychoanalysis built into the program because the idea was to build what would happen if you build self aware leaders um, through the pathway of mindfulness. We had, we actually, the class was called self awareness training, um, and we had uh, almost 100 uh, students in that cohort where we would engage in deep meditations, deep exploration, visualizations. Um, so that was the, the beginning of, of my journey, but it wasn't the end. What came from that uh, situation was me really developing key tools. Um, I was expecting a child um, prior to the program. I actually gave birth during the program. Um, wow. and And... Um, toward the end of the program once I um, once I finished I my daughter was diagnosed with autism and that I think was the the shift that I, I really um, can attribute to why mindfulness became so important because she would have these um, outbursts and it would be very difficult um, at times for her to express herself so from the time she was about two and a half, I had begun to teach her mindfulness practices. So everything that I learned at Columbia, she was like my first student. Um, I taught her breathing techniques. I taught her visualizations. I taught her how to self-regulate using uh, breath awareness, using um, her body sensations because she was hypersensitive, which I taught her how to use that as a tool to actually um, re-engage her, um, even socially. She uh, learned how to be an, in the midst of a crowd and still find her comfort within her body. Um, so quite honestly, giving birth to to Kiomi, that is her name, um, mm. and in conjunction with my training um, at Columbia, um, I began to to see the impact and the importance of teaching. Uh, the, these techniques. So I was asked uh, right after the graduation um, speech, quite honestly, to go to uh, Thailand um, to teach the administrator staff and the teachers at the American School of Bangkok these techniques. Um, that ha- that I have been um, actually uh, doing here in the States. And that blossomed into an international um, consultation with various schools um, around the same ideas of the impact of mindfulness on organizational culture. Because um, I've seen if we can get the leaders to understand the tenets of self-awareness, self-actualization, self-acceptance and their decision making process, We have the power at that point to be able to filter that down through the entire organization so that teachers are mindful in the way that they instruct students, and then students become mindful in the way that they learn and lead. So it's been a very powerful journey, but that has been completely um, connected back to mindfulness, and that brings me to the um, introduction to the Contentment Foundation. Um, I met Dan Cadero uh, at Yale. I was doing some work uh, with them. Uh, just around social emotional learning, um, in terms of uh, really pursuing the ruler curriculum, because I had adopted the ruler curriculum in my school as an administrator, which is a social emotional learning program coined from uh, Mark Brackett at, at Yale. Mm-hmm. And I was there looking to just um, explore some more opportunities where I met Dan and we began to speak about the Contentment Foundation. Uh, when Dan was uh, ready to transition to actually developing a platform and developing uh, that portion, he called on me to be the facilitator of the mindfulness pillar for the Contentment mm. Foundation. So all of our training videos that center on mindfulness, we have eleven in the teacher training platform. Um, it is myself leading the uh, the the teachers um, and leaders through mindfulness techniques through the secular form, this is through John Kabat-Zinn um, and, and, and many other philosophers that have really centered practices that are so applicable for school uh, administrators, for teachers, to really have a self-guided practice of mindfulness and how that incorporates and relates to the student instruction that is also embedded into the program. So we have student lessons that are in alignment with to the teacher trainings that are on the platform as well. So it was just a match made in heaven, so to speak, um, to be able to quantify and qualify these practices that I have learned and honed um, all over the world um, into one location where we are now um, so fortunate um, to be leading this work in several different GLs. I mean, we're in Brazil, we're in um, the UAE, we're in uh, Mexico, it's uh, the UK. It's amazing to see no matter where you go, the idea of living uh, a holistic, a well life is, is something that everyone gra- uh, gravitates to because we really have that belief that well being is a birthright. It's a birthright mm-hmm. for all humanity. And this idea of really being able to understand the role that contentment plays. And achieving that has um, is, is been phenomenal to see what happens when we when we teach it in a way that's deliberate, that's intentional. Um, it changes lives.
1: Mm. You know, I when you were saying that, I was just thinking about um, teacher burnout. And um, most of my schools are preschools. And um, the preschool teachers all around the world, it's one of the hardest jobs uh, that you can do because uh, – it's just physically and mentally tiring. And, um, of course, um, what the children give you is of course, uh, these moments of like sublime joy too. Um, but it's something that, um, I think drew me to the contentment foundation because I knew that, um, research shows that, uh, the efficacy of uh, the teacher's practice, the teacher having his or her own practice is the most important determinant of a success of a mindfulness program in a school. And, uh, I think the other part is also the principal needs to believe in this <laughs> and you address this too if you don't have uh, mindful leaders uh then uh, you probably only get like 25 50% of the way there it's better than zero um but I was kind of curious um how do you think um this training in mindfulness has kind of shaped um, your approach to um, your pedagogy
2: in the school it has absolutely um, shifted my pedagogy in terms of this this mindfulness approach because what happens is as a, a building leader, I'm currently a principal um, of a school um, in, in New York that is kindergarten through fifth, uh, we begin every morning uh, with a mindfulness breath. So I, I'll have a five-year-old lead 350 uh, children and a staff through mindful breathing. Wow. It, is not, it is not what we do. It's who we are. And that's literally a tenant in our mission and vision of the school, the ideas and concepts that uh, mindfulness can create the capacity um, uh, of children to have the ability to live lives more fully, to be able to go home and teach their families about why mindfulness is important um, during this COVID um uh, epidemic uh, pandemic we were shifted to e-learning overnight where all of our schools had to be remote as in all over the world it is so beautiful to see um, our flipgrid videos we have um, over twenty-five thousand views of children our students every morning doing their mindful breathing and being able to speak to how important that is and why Um, the mindful breathing and mindfulness has helped them to keep calm even when they get scared um, when they hear what's on the news or they get scared about anything that's happening in the world what happens is we develop the practice in children so that the practice is permeated also through the adults and as a building leader what happens is when I make a decision I am uh, I have the, the capacity to pause I have the self-reflective uh, capacity to understand that the decisions that I make are always student-centered. They're always going to be at the best interest of ensuring that my children are going to have the sustainability um, that we we need to thrive, both academically and socially, emotionally. So mindfulness again is, is it permeates through everything that I do, um, every decision that I make um, in terms of pedagogy. Um, with the staff, so my professional developments are very heavily centered in allowing my teachers to to navigate the platform uh, for the contentment foundation, allowing them to understand the importance of their own personal practice. We develop mm-hmm. a personal practice as a building every morning at ten a m. we um, We have our meditation. the entire there's about seventy people on the call every morning. Um, Before wow. we begin school and as a community, even now, uh, even, now COVID- even now during COVID, we have not missed one day because that that practice is going to allow them to be more fully um, attentive to their families, to their spouses, to their own children, um, because we are not um, immune to the pressures of this world. Um, and what happens and what I'm hearing, which is so beautiful, um, teachers say things like, Ashina, this practice has saved my life because I don't know how I would have been able to balance the trauma of really what uh, our world is in re- going through right now. New York City has been hit very hard. So what we are um, bombarded with our numbers every day of the death tolls. And the, it is just so, so difficult. Um, but when you are able to sustain this idea of enoughness and them understanding that they are enough, that they have enough, we center our minds and heart on abundance thinking, and it shifts us from deficit thinking. And it's yeah. through the deficits that they get where fear and all of the anxiety comes in. But mindfulness is really um, a practice that we've learned that tells them to create this space of acceptance of all emotions, whether we perceive them as good or bad, understand that they're merely visitors. they come to pay us for a visit. You allow them to come, but you allow them to leave just the same. As if you would have an unexpected guest come to your house, you'll make a plate, you'll let them sit down, enjoy. But then at the, at the end of the meal, you can absolutely say, okay, thank you for visiting, and then allow them to leave. And they laugh because it's just that simple. It really is. Um, mindfulness teaches us that we don't have to push away the negative emotions. And, and a lot of past practices tells us it's not healthy to, um, to be angry, but it's, it's very informative to sit with anger and learn what it's coming to teach you. Once you have learned that, you can absolutely allow it to pass. And when it comes back, you understand that you can develop a new relationship with these negative emotions. We've practiced, um, we've had practices where we've written letters to our unwanted emotion, and everything that I do with my teachers, I do with my students. So when you hear a five-year-old saying thank you to anger because it taught it taught them um, how to to listen more to their siblings, because he got so angry that um, his sibling broke his his doll, his army figure. So he says, so what, what I learned is if I would have just listened, he could have had one and I could have had one, <laughs> but it's a five-year-old <laughs> rationalizing. But then you'll have uh, the same conversation with a teacher who's written a letter to um, insecurity as an unwanted yeah. emotion and saying every time it showed up, it allowed me to really reflect on the things that I really was good at. Because it tried to um, rob, initially, the relationship insecurity would come, they perceived to rob them of, of a joyous experience. But there were absolutely some tenets that that same insecurity was coming to teach them. And that yeah. is to, to really focus on the things that they are excelling in and to be able to expand on those realms. It's, it's fascinating, I'll tell you, to, to really see the way that mindfulness can shift in an entire ecosystem, um, just as a practice.
1: You know, I I learned this from my mom, um, who's a founder. She said that schools are uh, networks of relationships. And um, every time I step into a school, no matter where it is in the world, I, sometimes the children aren't there. Sometimes there's no one there but the janitor. And I feel it. I can really feel um, the, the relationships in that school the second I walk in. But i seeing what's on the walls, how they've put things um, around the classroom, um, I don't even need to read anything. And um, as you were sharing that story about um, how the journey of how people learn and start this process, I was actually thinking about um, my experience seeing uh, the school in Bhutan, ELC, as uh, led by this uh, amazing lady, uh, Madam Deki. And uh, just like how it's helpful to do these um, practices as a community um they actually that school actually uh, did all the training for the contentment foundation the first pillar they did it together <laughs> all at once at the same time um and when they told me that i, I was just thinking to myself like yeah you know it's because whenever i whenever someone in my organization or anyone just comes up to me and they say how do i start this you know like i'm sold i want to try but i just can't sit down and i guess uh, it kind of helps when everyone sits down sit down together and <laughs> you do it together so then after a while when you do it um you just become less scared and uh you know it's funny i'm actually doing something right now i i started doing uh, this thing called morning pages so i'm, I'm starting uh, my morning um writing three pages of anything <laughs> so right after i meditate i just write and uh yeah all the emotions come out uh and uh i've done it for a week and i, I intend to keep doing it but um yeah, I, these are letters that, uh, uh, like Abraham Lincoln, I hope no one reads. <laughs> <laughs> Safe to <laughs> draft. But yeah, it, it's it's beautiful, all these um, all these little practices um, that we think of for children. But really, we all have an inner child within all of us.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And as Rumi said, we're all here just to walk each other home. So that's it. That's what we're all doing. So it's a beautiful practice. Uh, Madam Deckey is a phenomenal leader um, and and a phenomenal person. There's something to be said. I mean, you can see. I remember um, a quote uh, that uh, love is the soul's hiding place and she is the embodiment of love. Um, We had some great conversations. She came to Bali and and she participated um, in the Contentment Foundation's retreat. And we had an opportunity to just sit in each other's presence and, and speak about uh, the, the importance and impact of, of this work on children and families. She's just a phenomenal leader. And I can see why um, at ELC they're able to really embody these these skills uh, and these techniques because they are some of the most amazing, connected, uh, loving uh, teachers uh, that I've ever had the um, opportunity to to connect with. So it, it's just a wonderful place to be.
1: Yeah, they live and breathe it. And, and I've got a funny story on that because uh, uh, when uh, Navi and a friend of mine, when we showed up at, at the school, um, the first thing we saw was a dog. <laughs> and the dog was waiting for us. <laughs> At ELC, even the dogs are mindful. When, when We did our meditation circle. The dog we had a, a Tibetan sheepdog join in. <laughs> I mean, wow. I love that. I mean mammals too. Um but uh yeah, I was kind of when you're talking about relationships, uh, it kind of brought me um just thinking about your journey as a leader and um how mindfulness helps you. Um as a leader in your school and how that kind of shapes uh, organizational behavior. If you kind of talk about that and maybe kind of talk about like um, how it's kind of shaped the way how you lead, I think it'll be uh, useful for all of us.
2: Absolutely. Um, There was something that you said that sparked um, a great uh, thought in my mind When we train on mindfulness, um, the goal is to train everyone with a face. And that's literally what I tell my staff. So my cafeteria workers are trained, my secretarial staff, the security uh, uh, guards are trained, um, our custodial staff, everyone with a face that interacts with children um, are developed in this practice so that um, it is a common language. So when mindfulness uh, and the, the Whether it's the breathing uh, patterns that we are creating, the um, idea of sensational awareness, um, the practice of um, contentment and balance. We are incorporating this uh, way of thinking and way of being in everything that we say, everything that we do is based on this belief that well-being is a birthright. You have absolutely um, the power and the potential to live a well life life. Um, If you're able to begin to develop the practice of honoring your enoughness, honoring who you authentically are um, and being able to have that self-awareness shift to self-acceptance, which leads to that self-actualization. So this is something as a leader um, that I have learned the ability to first adjust my mask, so to speak, before I can adjust the mask of anyone else even as if this were a plane. So I have to make sure that um, I am exemplifying um, the, the practices. I am living my practice. Um, my journey um, is interesting because I don't necessarily feel like mindfulness is something that, um, that I do. Again, um, I'll speak to mindfulness being something um, more of a way of life, more of a way of being. Um, I talk to my staff about mindfully brushing their teeth mindfully taking a shower, um, anything that you do mindful mindfully becomes a practice. Um, so look for those moments in your day where you can look for the abundance and beauty, where you can stop for a moment and literally see that rose and just bask in the beauty of that or see that child's smiling face and be, in, be present um, in your uh, interactions. I believe that mindfulness as a leadership outcome creates an organization where there is a level of connectivity that no other practice could create.
1: I think um, one of the reasons why I love the Contentment Foundation's program is because it's not just mindfulness. It's, uh, it's the first pillar. And then there's community, and then it builds from there. And um, as much as I love um, creating space in my, uh, my thoughts, between my thoughts, I also realized that um, space alone sometimes isn't enough. <laughs> it's also facing them um, and thinking about them, reflecting on them. And um, I think as leaders, there's a beautiful Chinese saying about: um, if I look after myself, I look after my family, uh, I look after the country, and then there's going to be peace on earth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it starts with yourself. No one wants to lead someone that they don't want to be. They don't want to follow. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can't um you can't rise in an organization if you don't uh, keep yourself keep your own emotions um yeah be, be part of your emotions, be in harmony of your own emotions. Um, you know, I really feel like I, I wish that uh I wish that they taught this in schools and now we have schools and we're trying to teach it.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Can you imagine how different your life would have been if you learned these things when you were five? Uh our world would be very different. Um, You just spoke to something that was phenomenal. And that is the developmentally appropriate nature of uh, the Contentment Foundation and the Four Pillars curriculum. Uh, I I can't sing Dan Caldero's praises enough because he developed this approach where although we begin with the pillar of mindfulness and that self-awareness, when we shift to community, We take the tenants and the practices that we've incorporated and acquired through mindfulness to now branch out into a school community, into an actual uh, local and global community. So the practices that you learn in community is how do we collaborate where we now have the capacity to listen with awareness and intention? Now we can actually build projects that are interdisciplinary through this idea of community. And then when you shift from community, you go straight into self-curiosity because the idea is once you're able to build this community, there should be innovation, creativity, and ingenuity happening once you have so many amazing minds. So the self-curiosity has these anchor tools that really deeps, uh, dives deep into what questions come up when you're building and you're leading and you're creating as a, as a community. And when you shift from self-curiosity and that deeper sense of self that you acquire there, then you can go on to the the idea of contentment and balance, which really is a roundabout way of bringing all of these practices together with those key organizational tools of this idea of how do we now create a, a balance between our work life and our home life? How do we as a community understand the real impact of things that we mentioned in the beginning of this call, like teacher burnout and leadership burnout. How do you create a balance so that everything that you've learned in the first three pillars becomes an actual practice that's sustainable and can create a sustainable uh, uh, culture within your organization, but also within yourself so that you can begin to actually see how connected all of these tools are. So the developmental process of the curriculum Is so wonderful, Um, and if you've ever seen the platform, you know the videos are so oh, they're high
1: quality. So I've I've, I've watched it, yeah.
2: You've watched it. Wonderful. Um, It was it was very intentional to ensure that not only were they high quality, but these were practices that have been researched and scientifically based, so that everyone who experiences them, they have the credibility. Um, They also have the uh, the ease in terms of the implementation. Um, but all of us are all of the, faci- excuse me, facilitators on the platform are actual practitioners. So this is not something that we read and that we study. This is what each of us do. So when you look at myself or you look at home on community, who's a professor at Columbia, this is what we do. Um, so it's, it's a very, it's a labor of love, so to speak, uh, the platform, the foundation, um, and the relationships that we have uh, developed all over the world um, is really a testament of the importance of this work.
1: You know, we uh, started our pilot uh, with our first school um, back in January, so uh, we were just in time <laughs> before uh, uh, the shutdowns, and uh, I'm looking forward to bringing uh, more of our schools on board. I think uh, we're going to be bringing on board two or three more schools, and um, I was just kind of curious, uh, what would you share to any of these uh, prospective schools, uh, to a teacher in these uh, prospective schools uh, as they're about to embark on this journey?
2: I would tell them in a very heartfelt way to get ready to embark on the journey of your life. This is going to be something that you're going to be able to utilize, not just in your classroom, but absolutely in your home with your family. Um, you're going to learn tools and techniques to create um deeper relationships with everyone you meet. You'll learn techniques to help you as a person to to navigate the terrain of the ups and downs of the emotions that all humans go through. And then lastly, I will remind them that well-being is a birthright. You are absolutely worthy and you are absolutely worth it. And I cannot wait to embark on this journey with you.
1: Well, I can't think of a better way to, to end the podcast than that. <laughs> Thank you, Ashina. Uh, we've been talking for about almost thirty-eight minutes, and Thank uh, you. I'm I'm so thankful uh, to meet you digitally. And I hope um, after all this is over, uh, we can meet in the Bronx and um and i I'd, I'd love to see your school, and I'd love to go to that PetSmart. <laughs>
0: come
2: come right on. I can't wait to see you and have you. And please, uh, all the best to you and your beautiful twins. Continue to have an amazing, amazing evening. Thank you for your time and attention.
1: Thank you.